มาธรรมบุตสะนโมตัสสะบาควาโทอะระหะโทสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะอะปารุธาเดสังอมทัสทาวราเยสุรวันธาบมุนจันทุสัตถง This is a wonderful day to, in spite of the rainy weather, we always say when it rains it's a blessing. That's a euphemistic way of dealing with rain in Britain, because it rains a lot. But anyway, the, at this time, we at least have uh, conditions that uh, make life still quite pleasant, even when it's raining. And the building of this beautiful temple, and uh, this has been uh, the past 15 months uh, uh, from the groundbreaking ceremony uh, to this katina of 1996. Uh, let's say the the actual. Uh, process of uh, putting into material form uh, an idea the help of uh, uh, the, uh, our architect Tom Hancock and uh, members of the Sangha uh, bringing into uh, from, from ideas in our heads to actual process of establishing foundations digging deep into the ground and pouring and the pouring cement and so forth and, and then to the actual construction and now it's the more refined uh, and more obviously pleasing aspects of building a temple. So then on this particular, this is the first time I've actually been able to use this, this uh, for a public function, this, this uh, building. The, where you're sitting now in the, within the area of the p of the pillars is is called a sema boundary and that uh, is a s that was established before the the temple was actually built uh, in order to say following the tradition of vinaya and for the process of ordaining monks into the sangha uh, you have to establish an area that the sangha agrees is designated and marked out in a certain way uh, conveying that it is uh, an ordination boundary. So we can perform uh, uh, upasambada or the ordination ceremonies within this temple. Also, I wanted a, a temple that, or a place that really looked like a temple, not just a, a converted uh, hall or uh, like usually in, in the Western world, uh, Buddhist uh, viharas are old houses that have been converted into Buddhist uh, temples in the, or garages or warehouses or what, but to actually have the opportunity to actually build from the foundations uh, in, in a, to build a, a building that is just that, a temple, which is a place for uh, bringing into our minds the, the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, place where we we gather the, uh, the atmosphere uh, is is such that it brings our attention to the present moment. We're not we, we're kind of leaving the all the worldly cares and problems, family problems, societal problems, and so forth, leaving them outside. And we come in here. The idea of 
of letting go, leaving the, all the convoluted, complicated problems of the world behind to contemplate the sublime teachings of the Lord Buddha as we uh, began to realize the sublime Dhamma within ourselves, within our own mind. So a temple has that, that uh, ability. So we chanting ceremonies, uh, they like today this, this very auspicious Katina ceremony, uh, uh, the first ceremony ever really uh, held in the temple, is an offering of uh, what that many hundreds of people come to to give offering. Nobody's come here to get anything out of it, to to try to to. It's not here to be entertained or get anything for yourself, but to offer, to give, uh, and this giving your best wishes or or your, uh, requisites or things that are necessary for the Sangha, but the attitude is one of generosity, which is a foundation for spiritual development. And this is, uh, is something that I think is quite, uh, quite special, in, in, at least in, in my experience of religion, uh, where the, the foundation of a religion is based on generosity. Uh, in Buddhism you have the, the three stages, uh, uh, dana, Sila Pawana. And Dana is the is the very basis of spiritual development, which is generosity, which conveys a sense of, of getting out of your own personal uh, problems and, and obsessions to uh, offer something to somebody else. An act of service, an act of supporting that which is good, moral, kind, uh, worthwhile in in our society. And of course, in Buddhist countries, uh, you find the dana, uh, this sense of generosity, very, uh, uh, very uh, prominent kind of attitude. Uh, just the, because it is such an important virtue in 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 the Buddhist uh, uh, religion to to be generous. And I I think this. Uh, is gives a sense of of joy and happiness when we when we go out from ourselves to offer things to others uh, it brings into our lives the experience of joy a gladness where we're not we're not we're not making deals we're not trying to get anything we're just just the act of giving unselfishly um, is the experience uh, of joy it's not the happiness that you have of getting what you want of succeeding, get what? But it's the the happiness of giving, and so this is this is is, is also gives us a, a clue into the spiritual path. It's giving ourselves, giving away, moving out of our selfishness, our obsessions with ourselves, with our own group, with our particular desires, our particular views, and and. Uh, and moving out of that narrow world of selfishness into the more the, the generous attitude of serving, helping, giving. And in a time like this uh, <coughs> in the world, this is a, a very important virtue to emphasize. Because, say, in a materialist 
society such as, as we have here in Britain, here in Europe, and, and as the, uh, say, in countries like Thailand or Sri Lanka, uh, Asian countries now are developing this, this affluence and this materialistic attitude also. Uh, and people become obsessed, taken over by all the fascinating things you can get for yourself. The keeping up with the Joneses, the, the, the gadgets, the high tech, all the, the opportunities that maybe one never had before to have all kinds of wonderful things for yourself. And yet we can see that, that uh, just the, the materialist uh, development of the world doesn't bring much joy into the hearts of, of its people. Even when you get everything you want, uh, it, you still don't experience that, that real sense of joy. Your spiritual life is not being nourished by anything. Even though you're, you're getting maybe the, all the food that you want, and the security, material security, but the, what is lacking is, is the joy of our life. Because if our life is based only on self-fulfillment, on selfish obsessions, then it becomes increasingly more depressing as you get older. Because to be only think of yourself means that you just get more and more despairing, cynical, disillusioned, depressed by life. Because it's not enough for any of us. We're not a, a life based on just getting what I can for myself would only lead to yeah, incredible bitterness, disappointment, depression. The life of a Sangha is, uh, is interesting. Becoming, developing the life within the restraints uh, uh, of Buddhist monasticism. Because it is a, uh, something that is really quite new to the Western world. The idea of, of, of developing your life within, say, the restraints of Vinaya discipline, of celibacy, of uh, selfless service, of living in a way that is, is you have to give up continuously your own selfish desires and wishes uh, for the welfare of the Sangha, for the greater community, for the welfare of all sentient beings. Because uh, the Buddha Dhamma doesn't just stop with, with our little group here at Amravati or our little group uh, that we particularly identify with, but it spreads out from this being here to, uh, to the, throughout the whole universe to include all sentient beings. So this attitude of metta, of loving kindness, and where goodwill is generated for the welfare, and development of all sentient beings everywhere. Seen, unseen, born, not born yet, animals, devils and angels, the whole lot. The, the whole pantheon, the whole uh, cosmology of possible sentient beings is included in the practice of metta pawana, or developing loving kindness. So it's quite interesting, too, for Western mind to spread, spread goodwill to demons, devils, hungry ghosts. Because generally, Western people, we tend to think in terms of goodwill, we want goodwill for the, 
for the good ones, and we want the bad ones to be punished. That's how Western mind seems to work. That's how my mind tended to be, to operate. You want, you want the bad ones to go to hell and suffer forever, and the good ones to go to heaven and live happily ever after. <coughs> and then when you become a Buddhist, in, the, in Thailand where I train, suddenly you're spreading goodwill to devils, hungry ghosts, all kinds of uh, horrible creatures. And uh, you feel, at first you feel a bit bewildered by it. They don't deserve it, you know, it's just going to increase their wickedness. We send goodwill, but that's not the way it works. It doesn't, and when, when goodwill is generated, it, it is for the welfare of all beings. Even the, the most miserable, the most wretched, the most wicked sentient beings, if they're treated with, in a, in the, with goodwill, tend to, it brings out their, their better side. It, it's a way of, of living in the universe in which they're, the misery we create through our own selfishness, our own narrow-mindedness, uh, our own obsessions with greed, hatred, and delusion. As we experience goodwill, then we, something in us opens up and we, we let go of those uh, unwholesome tendencies. We relinquish them and we, we feel a sense of joy, of love, of increasing uh, fearlessness, uh, a kind of courage in which we can open out uh, and face everything in a way that, we're, that we, we can trust. We have a, the, the unshakable heart, the mind, the true purity of our being then is realized. Because the Buddha was pointing to something real. He wasn't uh, uh, just a, a philosopher uh, uh, speculating about the nature of ultimate reality. He wasn't just trying to create uh, pretty pictures, uh, paint uh, beautiful scenarios uh, uh, for us that actually uh, we could never realize in any direct or practical way. Buddhist teachings are pointing to direct experience. And this is, uh, this is what so many of us have found within our life as, um, as Buddhists, is uh, the thing that attracted us to this particular teaching, this particular way, was because it wasn't offering us just a, a panacea, a temporary uh, kind of uh, bromide for the misery of life uh, that was only uh, increasing our delusions, but it was pointing directly to the way things are in which we can actually begin to observe. And in that state of observation, in the state of wakefulness, attentiveness, through the development of wisdom and awareness, we begin to see the way things really are. And we begin to, to realize that ultimate purity of our being, which is ineffable. We have to realize that each one for ourselves is not something that, that anyone can kind of give to you, not even the Lord Buddha, Gotama the Buddha, the, the founder of, of the Buddha-sathana couldn't uh, go around enlightening his disciples. He couldn't kind of wave a magic wand and zap them and suddenly they're, they're enlightened. He would, could only point the way, try to encourage, try to uh, support, 
patiently support, encourage, and point toward that ultimate reality, which is here and now, which is, has never been separate from us, which has never been lost, but which we forget all the time. We get so caught up, so lost, so overwhelmed with our karmic tendencies, our habits, our emotions, all the pulls, the fascinations the, uh, of the worldly dhammas. They tend to pull us constantly and, and intimidate us. And so we get easily lost and wound up into all the conditioned things of, of society, of family, of, of uh, our own group, our club, our nation. How many, much of the suffering that we hear about in the news or see around us within uh, the, the, the family we live in or the society we live in here in Britain, so much of the suffering is generated from this ignorance, this, this uh, forgetfulness of the, of the ultimate reality. When I started this days, and I introduced it with the Pali uh, phrase, very famous one, Aparuta de Sangamatasatawara. The Buddha was announcing to the universe, the gates to the deathless are open. And this, this uh, statement always impressed me as one of the most powerful things ever said by a human being. He's, he's, and this was, uh, you know, from India 2,500 years ago, the gates to the deathless are open. Now what does that really mean in terms of our own experience? Is that just, we can just see it only as a kind of maybe romantic religious image or, or see it, uh, you know, not quite be able to appreciate that statement? Is it just a Buddhist sentiment? Or is it true, the gates, the doors to the deathless are open? Now this, this is the Buddha was saying, it's here and now when we begin to take refuge in that ability to, of awakened awareness, of paying attention to life, of developing wisdom, listening, watching, observing, investigating. The Buddha Dhamma isn't a religion of belief where you, you have to just grasp teachings that, that are given to you by priests or, or scriptures. The, 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 script, the scriptural teachings or anything the monks or the nuns might teach or say isn't for you to grasp and, and uh, use as something to believe in, but it's for encouragement, pointing, uh, helping you to, to awaken, to remember your true nature, which is ultimately pure, which never leaves you, which you, you're taking refuge in. When you say, Bhutang Sarnangachami, Tammangs uh, are nangachami, sankhangs are nangachami. That can be just a, an empty formula that we recite like a parrot. Or it can be a reminder of that true state of purity, of awakenness. Because the Buddha means the awakened one, that which is awake, that which is aware and wise now. It's not, not we're not worshipping Gotama the Buddha, who attained uh, Parinibbana 2,539 years ago. We're not worshipping a dead sage. But, we're <laughs> but the Buddha was, was, it wasn't pointing to a, a human form, 
but to a natural state that is, that is natural to our human condition, which is the state of awareness, mindfulness, attention. Because when we don't pay attention to life, then we get caught up. We get taken over. All our emotional habits that we've developed, all our fears, desires, different forms of obsessive greed or hatred, aversion, jealousy, fear, um, ignorance in all its various uh, qualities, permutations tend to, to take us over and we get whirled away into that realm and we suffer accordingly. Because that realm of, of grasping desires and fears can only lead to uh, despair, sorrow, anguish, disappointment, depression. Here in Britain, so this is my 20th Vasa now in Britain. And so it's, I've lived here in this country uh, as a Buddhist monk for, for 20 years now. Uh, and just n noticing the, the, uh, the problems that people have, the suffering that people have that come here to, to the monasteries, like at Chitras, or Amravati, or the, the different branch monasteries. It's usually around the attachment to various forms of ignorance, various forms of greed, hatred, and delusion. Uh, because we, we, you know, we, our life isn't one where we're, we're, we're say, we're being uh, outwardly persecuted and oppressed and, and beaten and abused by, by an unfair and miserable society or external sources, but our suffering comes through our own ignorance. We create endless problems around all kinds of things, the, the, the family, the, 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 the marriage partner, the children, grandchildren, the, the, uh, the class identities, ethnic identities, racial identities, political ones, religious ones, you name it, we can make it into a big problem that we'll suffer from. And I know this from experience, because I certainly, uh, say, in my life, made myself, it was very good, it was excellent at making myself totally miserable over uh, silly and ridiculous things. A temple is a, is a Ajahn Sajito last night gave a very good talk on the, on the temple, on the just the idea of a temple for contemplation. And I've always liked this, uh, the, the word temple, I, I like the word uh, itself because uh, that, that to me is, is one of the, the great things of our humanity is that there's something in us that aspires beyond just this earth that we're living on. And that when we can't be just content with, with just eating, sleeping, procreating, uh, having a good time on the sensory plane. It's not enough. There's something in us that, that longs for something beyond that, that aspires. It's the religious aspiration that all human beings have in their own way. Even if you go to the most primitive uh, groups of humanity from way back, who worship or, or love for an ultimate God or reality or or mysterious forces in nature, or whatever uh, terms or symbols uh, they might uh, 
describe their religious experience. It's the same aspiration that we all have, isn't it? Whether we're, we're uh, Western people or highly educated modern human beings or, or whether we're tribal people in the Amazon jungle or whatever, the aspiration is there. You can identify, you can understand it. When you get outside, when you're not just defining religious experience only in your own particular conventions. Isn't it? It's interesting here in, uh, in, uh, in Britain, where being a Buddhist monk, uh, where you're in a country that is predominantly Christian. So you have a, a, a culture that is based on, on Christianity mainly, the culture seems to be most influenced by the Greek, by the Jewish, by the Christian uh, religions. And yet in, in, at this time, uh, Britain's karma is one that it, it, it now has a multicultural, multi-religious population. This is the Vipaka come resultant karma of going out and occupying other people's countries. When you understand the law of karma, you can see why. <laughs> so this time, they've been, uh, next year, they even have to leave, give up their last one, Hong Kong, didn't they? <laughs> and they don't want, they don't, they're afraid all those Hong Kong Chinese will come over and live here. <laughs> But it's, their vipaka, it's our vipaka for having gone over and taken over other people's lands. That's how I see it anyway. This can be argued if you want. But it's more for reflection, isn't it? That, that, um, that we've, we've made karma with, uh, say, here in Britain, we've made karma with, with so many Buddhist countries, with Burma, for example, with India, with Sri Lanka, they're very, they're strong Buddhist countries, like Burma and Sri Lanka, very, you know, very strong Buddhist countries in the world. Also, the, the, the uh, colonial struggles with China and, and uh, other Buddhist uh, countries or with other religions, with the Muslims, with the Hindus, on and on like this. So, at this time, there's this multi-religious experience that's going on and 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 I find it very very uh, inspiring because one is is beginning to to not just look through your own particular religious conventional religious conventions and symbols but you're talking you're you're relating more to direct experience of spirit of spiritual experience so when we have uh, we've had these, these meetings, say, with uh, people living in, in monastics, uh, whether they're Christian, Roman Catholic, Anglican, or various other uh, Hindu ashrams or that we meet. And we have a common bond of understanding in our spiritual aspiration. And oftentimes, we, we, you know, those who are practicing, those who are actually realizing that truth, getting beyond just the conventions that that define, that describe, we find the religious experience very much the same thing. You know, it's not, it's not like, like Buddhist ultimate truth is, is, uh, is something different from the others. 
because we're pointing to an ultimate reality that is that we, is with us all the time. It's not. It's not cultural. It's not Buddhist. It's not Christian. It's it's be, it's not Asian or European. Not male or female. We're transcending this conditioned realm, uh, not rejecting, not criticizing, but seeing through it, beyond it, to that ultimate truth, which in Buddhist words we call the Dhamma, the Amata Dhamma. So the gates to the deathless are open. Aparuta de Sangamatasa Tawara is the Tawara, the gates or the doors. Amatasa means the deathless. So deathless reality is, is uh, say, realized through paying attention to life. We realize it. We can actually tune in. We can actually know it directly. Deathless. The deathless Dhamma through awareness, through awakening our minds by paying attention to whatever happening within us or outside us. So we're learning to, to look at ourselves in a different way, rather than in the highly personal way of I'm this person, I'm this nationality, I'm this class, I'm this gender, I, am, uh, I have achieved or not achieved, I have attained and not attained, uh, or I'm a good person or a bad one, or good-looking or ugly or whatever. These things no longer are how we describe experience on this highly personal way. Because the awareness is bringing us to a universal reality that's transcending the conditions, conventions. Then the second line of that, aparuta de sangamatasatawara, is the gates of the deathless are open. The second line is ye soda wanta bamunjantu satang, a soda wanta. Interesting. One who listens, a listener. One who, like a lis the function of listening, isn't it? Is, is where your mind is, is, is open. You're paying attention. It doesn't have to be particularly listening for anything, any particular thing as such. But it's a state. It's a, it's a way of being present, of being here and now, is by listening. And you can listen outwardly, you can pay attention to things external, or you can even listen to yourself thinking or feeling something. And as you turn your, that, that sense of listening, uh, begin, be, you begin to take refuge and trust in your ability to listen. And you begin to hear, even yourself, the kind of things that go on, the complaining, the, 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 the resentments, the the fears, the doubts, the worries, the, the, the jealousies, the anxieties uh, that we produce in our minds, we listen to them. And we begin to listen to them not in terms of uh, we no longer see any need to grasp, we no longer want to grasp them, but by paying attention we begin to, our relationship changes instead of grasping and becoming someone that's angry or discouraged or depressed or worried, we, we no longer grasp the conditions, so they drop away, they cease, they change, they go, they dissolve in the mind. And what's left is that state of natural purity. 
of radiance, of, of silence, infinite, infinite space. So a temple is, is, a, is a building, isn't it? We, we're containing, we're putting, we're, we're designating this space, this, this square space here. Uh, we put walls and windows and, and a roof on, on top of this, of the walls, and we're, we're saying this is a temple. And it's not that we're, we're uh, trying to contain space and, and, and uh, incarcerate space, but to designate, to remind us, to, so we remember. Because we forget all the time. We go out the doors and we get, somebody says something and uh, you go home and there's an uh, urgent fax. Or your electricity's been turned off. Or your plumbing doesn't work. Or something's happened and then you get oh, worldly, get lost into the worldly cares and woes of uh, life. But in, in a temple, say, that it's, even though the temple really is the mind itself, you know, when you, that natural state of purity. But a, a a bricks and, and mortar type temple is also a symbol for that. And just the, the, the shape of this building, just notice, it's a, it's a, it's a square structure. That's the, that's the earth, it's bound into the earth. It's got uh, very deep foundations actually. I don't know how much cement they kept pouring into the ground here. Uh, this temple is going to last a thousand years at least, two thousand. Five thousand? <laughs> Who knows? But it's going to last a long time. Uh, it's um, it's it's a sturdy building. It's made with materials that that are earthy also. Like we wanted things that weren't too artificial, too too false in here. Like we didn't want to give it a lot of cosmetic uh, uh, covering up of just painting it and trying to to uh, make it look like something else. So we, we wanted it to have a kind of natural look to it that comes like it, like it grows out of the earth. So the, the oak structure in here, this, this is a good English oak. Um, that that a green oak. So you see cracks in it. Some people get worried. They think, oh, it's cracking already. It's going to collapse. But no, the cracks are part of the, the, the naturalness of it. <laughs> you get you change your attitude towards cracks <laughs> because you the cosmetic thing. Let's go fill them up with putty and paint them, put gold all over the posts and and uh, designs and that. But that deliberately done in this style. This is a this is an old pre-industrial uh, European way of building. But it is, it, it's, it has this, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to uh, varnish or paint or cover it up. It, it is what it is. And, and, they, and it is beautifully crafted, beautifully made. This, this kind of structure is being, is, is being revived now, this type of building here in Britain. And it died out maybe 200 years ago. They stopped do, building buildings in this way. 
And they managed to keep it alive in, uh, on the continent, in France. And so the, the, the group that built this, uh, the craftsmen that built the, the structure, the internal structure in oak, they have a workshop in, near Bath. And they're, they're all kind of very enthusiastic craftsmen uh, who, who have revived this, this type of, of uh, building with pegs and everything is, is uh, cut in a certain way to join together and, and the, the, the fact that the wood is green and will change and that's taken into account. The, the whole thing is, is, isn't just a, a naive attempt at, um, at building but it comes from an ancient tradition. The bricks, as you see, are, are they're, they're handmade bricks. So each brick has its own kind of character. You start, you start looking at the bricks and you start changing your attitude towards bricks. I came to England, I, in, I'm from the northwest of the United States where everything's made out of wood. And we seldom ever had brick houses or stone houses in Seattle. And, and so, and it, Coming to Europe, everything is brick or stone. And I was so impressed by it because usually only the richest people in Seattle would have brick or stone houses. Where you come into London, everybody, the tenements, the poorest people have brick houses. <laughs> Bricks are uh, something, you know, that, that got just ordinary kind of building material here. Or tile roofs. Yeah, in Seattle, we just we just use like the this roofing felt or 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 um, or shingles, cedar shingles on roofs. But this uh, and bricks uh, started looking at bricks when I first came to England and, and admiring bricks, and then I got used to them, and then a brick was just another brick, and I didn't really think much about them until we decided to build this temple. And then we. We had to go through this long process of finding out what bricks we wanted. And we've got some very clever people in this community that uh, have very refined ideas. So you can't just have, take any old brick. So we had all kinds of bricks here and brick walls, the building built, and little samples of this and that. And uh, suddenly I started looking at bricks in a different way. And then they, when they brought these, I really liked this because they're 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 not like off an assembly line. They're, they're interesting. They have they have character. Each brick is has its own character. And then the uh, roofing tiles are handmade. Also, though, you go out into the cloister where you can look up uh, into the rafters where you can see the the tiles. In the cloister, you see a handprint, because each each tile had to 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 had it has its handprint into it, so underneath, so you can see it from underneath, uh, out of terracotta, out of earth, and and so they, this and earth and and wood, oak and the soil of 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 this country have been used to to build this building. It's also high-tech, as you can see. We've got this uh, very uh, magnificent underfloor heating, uh, very sophisticated heating system, and electric, uh, the lights, you can do all kinds of things with them. Uh, 
dim them, brighten them, turn on this one, turn off that one, uh, get all kinds of effects. So that last night, we meditating in here, you, you turned on everything at this this kind of soft, kind of mysterious light on the Buddha Rupa. And, and it really looked so utterly beautiful and breathtaking. It, it just nonplussed your, your jitta. You stopped thinking just because you're, you just, you couldn't think anything because your mind was, 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 had stopped thinking because you were just the beauty and the awesomeness of the light and the, the, the quality of, of that moment. Also, that Rupa wasn't, wasn't in existence last year at this time. And uh, I had, we had a really wonderful time uh, with, this, with this Buddha image. Uh, when Ajahn Atapemo and I, uh, after the casino season last year, we flew to Thailand and we, with this idea of, of uh, casting this Buddha Rupa. And it was uh, offered by uh, the uh, uh, Thai group uh, who wanted to, to uh, uh, who were, they've, quite a, they've, they've been here many times on giving, uh, almsgiving ceremonies. They come all the way from Thailand, led by a man named Somchai Yuanon, who's, who's, uh, who takes people on Dharma tours around the world. They go to Australia, they, they, go, they come here to Europe, um, sometimes they've even spent three or four days here at Amaravati and we have space we can sometimes put them in the retreat center where they can uh, come and do pujas and listen to desanas and practice a little meditation, not just have a, a tour of, the, of Europe. But anyway, this group uh, uh, wanted to, had offered to, to uh, sponsor this Buddha Rupa. And we also didn't want to just buy one off the shelf. Yeah, we, we wanted it to be something special. So we had uh, more kinds of consultations with members of the community and we came out with this one, uh, which I'm very pleased with. Because it does convey the, the, the it's, a, it's an act of blessing. And this, this, is, this particular mudra of Blessing has a Dhammajaka in the ha in the palm of the hand, and also in the in the other one there's a Dhammajaka, the one you you can't see the palm, and this is this Dhammajaka is a symbol for the the teaching of the Lord Buddha of the Four Noble Truths, and also it's a blessing, the the sense of blessing, it's it's going out, blessing us in here in in Britain in Europe, and also this is the mudra of the Buddha Rupa that. Our teacher in Thailand, uh, Lung Po Cha, brought to England when we first when we first came to England in 1977. The he brought a little rupa uh, made of brass uh, with this particular mudra, uh, and gave it to us when we still lived in Hampstead in the Hampstead Vihara in London. And so this this particular uh, mudra has seems to have taken. Uh, on uh, significance in the in our in our monasteries here in in Britain. Also, uh, Lung Po Cha was in, in his own when he built his own temple in uh, Ubon in in the Isan in Thailand. He uh, he cast uh, 
they, they had a casting of a Buddha Rupa right in the monastery. In, in they didn't. We had it done in a in a in a in a place uh, so, uh, to the west of Bangkok, where they uh, a factory where they make Buddha Rupas. But he actually had the Buddha casting ceremony within his monastery, Wat Bapong. and he had in he has a standing Buddha. And when asked why why a standing Buddha, and he said, well, at this time he said the Buddha Sasana, Buddhist religion needs people who aren't just going to sit, they need to be out doing things. <laughs> then, because, and this is very good for Western people because most Western Buddhists just want to sit. And especially in the Theravada school, there's the religion of sitting. So I think they, they get infected with these sitting Buddha rupas. Anyway, I, I do like sitting Buddha rupas in spite of it all, and uh, standing ones also, but and walking ones. And then we also uh, Mechi Reno, who a Thai uh, nun who spent about five pansas, five vasas here in England. Uh, uh, she's a well-known artist uh, in Thailand, and uh, she her specialty is engraving glass. And so she has done the most amazing glass uh, engraving of the uh, reclining Buddha based on the image of Polonarua the, the, in Sri Lanka, the, the most beautiful reclining Buddha, uh, where it has these uh, lovely details of, of the robes, the folds of the robes. So she's, she's done a version of that in, in, engraved in glass. And the, the glass is really it's most beautiful kind of thick plate glass, about what five meters? There? Quite, it's enormous anyway. And how, how they got it from Thailand to England, I don't. I mean, they, they, they. She tried to get it insured, and she had terrible time. Nobody wanted to take the risk, but it's arrived and it's in storage somewhere. Uh, and when we get the, uh, we didn't want to bring it here while they were building the temple. The, uh, something might come crashing down on top. The, yeah, but the room behind this this shrine is uh, a little chapel for meditation in which this reclining Buddha will be placed and hung in uh, from the oak beams uh, with a light. And it it will be, and it's also facing west. So you this this sense of the reclining Buddha, the Paranibbana of the Buddha, uh, at like the sun setting in the west, the, the imagery, the geomancy is very good as you, uh, uh, as you uh, look at the, the situation. Like this is in the facing east, the Buddha blessing us, you know, the sun rising and, the, and facing east. And then as you go into the other side, into the little chapel will be the the uh, engraved glass uh, reclining Buddha. And that's also uh, in the future when, uh, when we have here in, in Britain, when we, when we die, then we, we can also put the, the body in, the, in that chapel and, and meditate on the corpse within that. There's usually uh, there's no place to, to keep a, a dead body here in this country. They, they kind of whisk them away and put them in fridges or something immediately. 
uh, and then cremate them within 15 minutes they get at the crematorium and uh, it's a pretty heartless way to deal with death. So uh, we're trying to also, part of one of the teachings the Buddha, one of the practices the Buddha most uh, encouraged monks and nuns to follow was uh, contemplating uh, a dead body. And so this is, this is something very important to, to come to terms with that uh, ultimate experience that we will face, that all of us are going to face, are going to experience in the future. And so the uh, idea of a, being a kind of chapel of rest, where, where for a few days before the cremation, um, if people are so inclined, uh, whether they be monks or nuns or, or lay people, the chance to. Uh, meditate and to contemplate when somebody dies and to be able to to be with that the body that is now dead that was once alive is is a way to resolve the emotional traumas and fears and anxieties around the death experience before you die yourself Now some people might say, why, why don't you build a crematorium here? But if we do that, then the local people, they absolutely go into a right panic. No, I don't, that's definitely not on the agenda. Um, because I don't want to have to deal with all the, uh, with that. Uh, uh, they still, I would suggest that when we first came here, uh, I, I thought, I was just thinking out loud, and I have this habit of think, have, bringing up good ideas. It would be nice to have a crematorium here. And that, that leaked out into Great Gadsden, and people were really upset. I think they're afraid of ghosts. <laughs> Glue a pee. <laughs> English people are afraid of ghosts, too. <laughs> But anyway, that, that I don't mind. The crematoriums are, 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 are good enough. But, the, but also it's important to uh, have such an opportunity for those, who, those who've had that opportunity. I think we've, they found, we've all found it very healing in a way when somebody dies, that they're not just whisked away, put in a fridge, and then burned up, and you never see them again. You have a chance to emotionally come to, to an acceptance of death that, that is very healing to the, to the mind, especially when somebody very close, someone you love very much, dies. Also, I want to uh, say that this that uh, this temple is for this kind of contemplation, and you're welcome to come here and and to uh, and see and to develop an attitude of coming here with this attitude of letting go of the world, not to bring the worldly problems you have or difficulties with you, but see it as a chance to to come and offer to be generous, to give food to the to the sangha, or or, or give robes or medicines or to come and meditate, to practice, to uh, to determine to to live by the precepts, moral precepts. Uh, this is all part of our spiritual development. With the dana, the the generosity, the sila, the 
moral restraint and the pavana, the spiritual development. So the, then as the, the square grounded structure rises up with these fantastic beams and then the, this, this, uh, this enormous roof that rises up to a fine peak at the very top. This kind of lovely golden point at the top. You go outside and there's Buddha relics enshrined in that, in that uh, top part in the pinnacle. So it, it has a this sense of pointing up to the, to the infinite, isn't it? To the sky. Like the sky is a symbol for the deathless infinity. Uh, it, it goes on and on and on. It's not contained. It has no form. Uh, and this, this, this mortal form of a temple, this structure made out of bricks and mortar and wood and that, rises up, points to the, to the deathless or to the infinite and the, so we see the, the, the kind of earthy materials of the temple and then the, it gets more refined as it reaches the top to that gold kind of umbrella at the top and then the, the fine point reaching up to the sky to infinity so it's a symbol to contemplate because it reminds us of, of our real of our true nature that we, we have these elements just like the bricks and the tiles and the wood and we, we have the earth, fire, water, air, the four elements to, to live with and to, to respect. But how we relate to them, that's what. We relate to them in a selfish, confused, ignorant way or do we relate to them with wisdom, with compassion, with understanding, both our own elements, such as the, the body here, with its eyes, ears, nose, tongue, the mind itself, the thoughts, the, the feelings, the emotions, and all this, we begin to relate to in an honest and direct and wise way, rather than merely be caught up uh, into the momentum of thinking and emotions uh, without any, any reference outside them. So this temple here, say, is, is for that kind of contemplation. They have a contemple, contemple, contemplate. Yeah, contemplation is a good word, isn't it? Because you're, with meditation you're doing, you're, you're opening your mind, you're listening. You haven't set up your mind, you haven't decided on anything, and, and you're not taking a stand and, and holding to any viewpoint. But your, your, your mind is, is spacious and open, awake and aware. It's receptive. And then it, you realize the infinity of mind, the vastness, the all-embracingness, the unity, the underlying unity, that which embraces everything. When we open ourselves uh, in that way with mindfulness, then we, we're, we're one. We're not all these, this person, that person, this group and that group. We get beyond our, the limitations of our own human form and human conditioning through this, through the refuge in the Dhamma. So I want to offer this as a reflection for you for this afternoon and uh, express on behalf of the Sangha here, uh, we have the um, 
monks and nuns from Chithurst and from Harnham and uh, always glad to, to uh, have uh, other members of the Sangha here. Also uh, a Chinese monk from Beijing and a Tibetan monk uh, happened to show up. So we welcome them to, uh, to join in, in this celebration today. There, and also our express our appreciation for all the generosity and the support, the the kindness, the the uh, loyalty, and that 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 we've experienced here uh, in England uh, ever since uh, I came 20 years ago. Some of you I've known uh, from almost the day one in uh, when we arrived. <laughs> And uh, the loyalty and the, uh, the kind of uh, continuity of, of your uh, determination to, to uh, encouragement for us to live in this life as monks, as nuns, as samanas, as Buddhists, samanas in a non-Buddhist country. And it certainly is possible, isn't it? We've, we've not, the problems we have here in England are within our minds. There's not any real problem external due to the culture or the society or anything. We're not abused or unfairly treated or anything. The, the problems we have in the, uh, the monks and nuns in uh, here at Amaravati or Chitters or the other branches are from their own minds. <laughs> it's not because there isn't enough support or enough generosity from outside either. It's their own karmic uh, uh, obstructions. So I offer this uh, as a reflection and, and uh, remember to uh, you have the, in the future to uh, for those of you who uh, have the opportunity to come and meditate practice meditation uh, some of you could even uh, become monks or nuns, like this. Who knows? Now we have the uh, calendars, uh, and also Ajahn Sujito is uh, is uh, we have the printed his book Dawn, Dawn of the Dhamma, which is an amazing work. Uh, he can't believe anybody wants it, <laughs> but it's one of the best books on Buddhism you'll ever have, you'll ever find. Uh, and also he did this he. He started doing a kind of because we chant the Dhammajaka Sutta. He he started doing a a kind of uh, illuminated script for me uh, to read from uh, from the Dhammajaka Sutta. And eventually, he he got carried away into into illustrations that are quite fascinating. And then I asked him to so he's illustrated the whole Dhammajaka Sutta. And uh, and with that, he's given a, he's he's written a commentary. So it's a very, uh, very wonderful 
uh, work, is a work of art and of literature. So that also you can have a copy of. Also, there's going to be one announcement.